Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on The Basic Podcast, where you can hear all of our latest messages, interviews, and more. Basic is a college and young adult ministry focused on uniting people to join in Jesus' work. To keep up with what's happening in our community, take a moment to follow us at Basic Worship or explore our website, basicworship.org. We hope you enjoy this episode of our podcast and that it helps you take a next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We're in a series called Storms of Life, and where is God in the storms? And uh, there's been someone that said, I don't know who said it, but um, the, the most powerful apologetic, the most powerful case for the existence of God is a changed life. And so uh, Ron Gruber is about to share, um, if I know, I don't know him well, but I know him well enough. We live in the same house, by the way. So the house that he used to live in on Franklin Street is the house where my family lives in and, uh, and now. And so Ron has an incredible story of a changed life. So I'm excited to invite him up here a little bit. He's going to talk about storms uh, that he's experienced and ultimately um, the hope that is found only in Jesus. And uh, so he's a rough and tumble guy, but he is soft-hearted for the Lord and for other people. I've had a chance to see him speak a couple times, not the least of which was with a bunch of hardcore junior high kids. And he shared in such a way that just kind of crapped, cracked open their, their, their souls and their hearts, and he was able to bring hope into hopeless lives. So I think that's what we're in store for. So his wife Joy is here as well. So let me pray real quick. Ron will come up, and then we'll enjoy and be blessed by him. So Father, thank you. As Ron comes up, I want to thank you for um, just what you've done uh, in his life and what you're continuing to do and what you have yet to do uh, in and through his ministry. He has a passion for you, a passion for changing lives, a passion to go deep into darkness and bring um, the light and the life that only Jesus can bring. So thank you for... um, the fact that I, uh, I uh, the conversations we've had, there's been a click, so I thank you for actually the friendship, and uh, maybe ultimately even beyond that, a brotherhood that we share because of, of um, our common devotion to you. Father, you have a way of bringing people together in such a way as we make you Lord and Savior. So uh, you are his Lord and Savior, and so thank you for what he is about to share. Thank you for his story, and uh, may we be open to the kind of change that you want to make in our lives just by saying yes uh, to what it is that you want us to say yes to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, let's bring Ron up. You can give him a hand. Thank you. Good evening. I probably ain't going to start by asking for a volunteer to take these, but I know that they gave me a piece of paper that said something. And so I've been praying on it where that there's a series going inside the hearts of God doesn't waste pain. And they said, tonight, you know, if there's some way of blending in that God doesn't waste pain and sin and brokenness and how God can take down and allow it to create an up that doesn't have to be counterfeit. So... Praying on that, I, I want to be able to, to share with you, you know, the redemption of Jesus Christ. I want to be able to do that by the power of his spirit. So that means I'm going to share my past. And a lot of that's ugly and violent and treacherous. Um, but before I get started, I want to make sure that I'm not going to be up here trying to say some hard luck story where... My life's so much more tore up than yours or has been. I've been through more pain and this, that, and the other than you. Because uh, 
If you're alive right now and you got a pulse, you know what it is to feel 10 foot tall. You know what it is to be excited. You also know what it is to be broken and shattered and feel like a little piece of done. And so I ain't got no corner market on pain, but I do and allow God to be able to, to, to voice his ability to take that which is sin and create life out of death. Um, to do that, I, to, say mine, I, to make sure we're on an equal basis, for me, it's like going into a library. You go into a library, what do you see? Books. Um, if you're trying to get good in math, then hopefully you're gonna go up and you're gonna pick a book on arithmetic, on math, so that you can open it up, it can encourage you. Um, if you pull a social studies book, it isn't gonna be much for what you're trying to consume when it comes to math. So same way with each of us, I look in here and I see a library. And I see an ability for, if you're willing, you open up your book, you open up your life by the power of the Spirit, and you allow yourself to talk about the things that did excite you, as well as the things that put you down and, 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 and tried to crawl in and out of you. And so we're equal in that, that ability to be a book and to be by his power um, used. Amen? So when I start, I say that I, I wasn't raised in no home. I say I was raised in a house. And the reason I say I was raised in a house is because my dad was a beast. And by beast, I mean he worked all day long. And I mean he worked hard. He's a walk-on German farmer. He's a construction worker. That's what he was. And he worked like a beast. And when he got off work, my dad drank. And the thing about my dad was he didn't just drink, he was treacherous. And so he had an habitual habit that when he came home and was drinking, that he would go after my mom. And it wasn't just one of those things where it's verbal. It's the thing where he physically would throttle her, choke her, violate her. And so when he'd be off at work, my mom would come up. I, I was raised outside of Cedar Falls. I'm the oldest of four. And my mom would look at me and go, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Mom. No. No, I'm asking, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Ma. Then you'll protect me. Yeah, I'll protect you, Ma. So when you, he'd come home, and you can hear it going on out there. You can hear her screaming. You can hear what, what's, what's taking place. And I got to tell you, I was full of fear. I'm in that room, and sometimes my brothers would look at me and go, hey, you don't go out there. You know what he's going to do if you go out there. But see, the thing is, about being all in on something, about giving your word, to sit in that room and try not to act like it wasn't going on, to sit there and listen, it was harder than being able to... See, the thing that I had more of than fear was hate. I had a gas tank. I used my, my, my theories as my, what I held was like a gas tank. And it was just full of hate. So when the fear come in and I'd, I, I gave my word. I might be eight years old. I might be nine years old, but I gave my word. So when it's going on out there, I'd go out there. And when I did, my dad was in the penitentiary. And I'm not proud of it, but I did decades in there. When you lift iron and you get to a point where you are, we called it cock strong. It means you're probably stronger than you need to be. My dad, from working, 
was cock strong. And my dad wouldn't just knock you out. See, I've learned in my life that men, I think, I don't know about women, I ain't built for it, but they're territorial. They draw a line in the sand where, don't go inside there, you're in violation. So when I went out there, my dad immediately, I'm in violation. And my dad wouldn't just smooth knock you out, he'd snatch you by your head, and he'd pick you up on your, your feet. He was strong enough where he could hold you there. And he'd squeeze you, and he'd look at you and go, you know how stupid you are? Do you know how ugly you are for coming out here? And then he'd put me out. And then he'd go over and finish on mom. And I know in his heart, he figured he won. But I, I won because I gave my word. I was all in. And I'd like to say that's just one of them little isolated things that happened once in a while, but this was a pattern of life inside this house. And the thing about it is, I'm not ever, I don't believe in evolution in the sense of falling out the back end of a monkey. I'm not in on that. What I do believe is the evolution of spirit, wherein you don't put nothing good, nothing healthy into a toxic situation. It just gets darker and sickening. And the confrontations between me and my dad grew um, as the years went on. Uh, it got to the point where my mom, I know, is a human being, so she's not perfect. But my mom had the heart the size of Dallas. And we raised like a hundred head of goat outside of Waterloo Cedar Falls. And so we milked, and my mom would notice one of the animals that the other ones didn't, didn't care for. Or one of them would get wounded, hurt. My mom would tend to that, give it extra care, extra love. My dad would notice that. He'd let it go on for three months. He might let it go on for six months, but he'd notice it. And then when she went in town to go get the groceries, he'd do it. Now, the first time he knocked me off my square because, you know, I was, like I said, maybe 10 years old, he'd said, go in, go in there and bring out beauty. Bring out this goat, pour some grain down right here out here and bring her out here to eat. So... All right, so I go in the pen, I bring her out, she's eating. He comes out of the house, and he's, he's drinking. He puts down his beer, and he jacks it. He's got a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Now, one thing about, him, about that machine, a shotgun, is they're spooky, especially if you ain't holding it. They also kind of draw you in because you, they're just they're a powerful machine. But as he's coming out that door, and he's putting them, them slugs up in that pipe and jacking it in, he walks over, and... And he starts rubbing the top of the goat's head. And, I'm, and the goat's just eating. And all of a sudden, my mind clicks to, oh, oh, no. Boom! You can get him, come here, you little coward, and you stand right here. You stand right next to me. And the goat's right there, and he's rubbing on the top of her head. He said, you hear me? Now, you watch this, you coward. And as he's walking, rubbing on the top of his head, he squeezed that trigger and that head. It was like an invisible bust the way it shattered the way it kicked its dance of death on the ground. And I'd like to, again, I'd like to say that's just a one-time deal, but it's not. But I, I know the only way I got through it was just like in the room when he's attacking mom, I tapped into that reservoir. I tapped into the hate. I wasn't going to look the other way. I wasn't going to be a coward. And I got it down as time went on where, which one do you want? And I could sit there and actually bring the goat out. And I knew what he was going to do, and I could look at him. And I could not really smile, but I could look at him in a way where his laughter kind of put a flat line 
like, what's going on? What's going on in his head? And about the age of 13, mom decided, hey, she'd had enough with this man, and she divorced him. And I got to say to this day, it's probably one of the best days of my life. And she moved in town. Now, what's my mom know? She moves in town. <laughs> she moves about four blocks from a, a small motorcycle gang. And I got to tell you, me and my brother watched these guys at 13 and 12. And, and I mean, listen to them Harley Davisons. Seeing the way they snapped their fingers and women did exactly what they were told. But the thing that drew me in, the thing was the violence. These guys would fight. Anybody that, anybody that wants some, you can come get some. But it wasn't just that. It was where they'd look at one another. You, me, it's a brother fight. Let's do this. And they'd box. They'd just go at it. And there's one thing I could understand was that pain, that, that, that kind of giddy up and go. And the thing, the thing about it was this empty, sucking, aching hole in my chest that said, you're a piece of nothing. You ain't got no purpose. There's nothing more to life than what you've been having in this house. And I know. I looked at that and I said, there's my answer. That's exactly everything I need to be. That's exactly everything I need to feel this aching depth inside my chest. And so, of course, we're young. We'd go over there and they'd, get out of here, you And we'd go run with the street. And we'd get into, that's why I ended up in Eldora, because I tapped into that pain and I slammed some young guys. Well, I guess actually when I was 16, he was 18. And I put his, put his head in the car door and I slammed that thing till it gave enough where I, I had to go do a year there. But we started running more as we got older with the gang. We were allowed to be around. And back then, like now, the ones we work with in Eldora with Brad, you can start in a gang at nine years old. Back in my time, because I'm a dinosaur, you know, you had to be 21. You're supposed to be 21. But me and my brother, we watched these guys, and we seen what they were doing to get in at 21, 22. And we looked at each other and said, all we got to do is tap in. All we got to do is be all in. All we got to do is decide that whatever it takes, commitment, dedication, suffer, go on in there. And so we did. Me and my brother prospected at 16 and 17. By the time I turned 18 and he turned 17, we got our patch. We got in the gang. And we started living the, the full life of doing as much drinking, treating women like property, and fighting. And of course, you know, there's, there's law enforcement. There's law enforcement trying to keep a community from being attacked. And so I ran into the law. And uh, I ended up in the Iowa State Penitentiary in Fort Madison, Iowa. And, uh, you know, there ain't nothing I can really say good about them seven years. I know that the woman that I sit with now she was with me from I was 17, 16, till the time I was 20, and then she tried to stick it out, out down there. But I got there, and I realized you're supposed to be 21 to go there. I turned 21 in there, and I wasn't going to be no tough guy. I realized that right out of the gate. I'm not going to be no tough guy, but I said I'm not going to be walked on. And that cost, that cost, that, that cost to be that committed because I ended up getting beat and cut and stabbed, and I sharpened me some steel. She left me, 
She said, you, you're out and you're out of that gang or I'm, I'm, I'm leaving you. I said, I'm gang. And so she left. I didn't see her for another 40 years. And when them boys stabbed me, I got them. I sharpened down that steel and I stabbed me several individuals. I beat me two guards, one of them half to death. And I, this ain't bragging. This is just part of what it takes for God to be able to say there ain't nowhere you're at. Nowhere you're at down there that I can't pull you up if you allow it. But at the time, all I did, everything I had, that gas tank, I come out of there with two gas tanks. After seven years, I did over two and a half years in the hole where you're just, you're a prison inside a prison. And so when I come out, I had two gas tanks. And one thing I decided is I'm having mine. Now, we started out in a small club, the Brotherhood, but it had been gobbled up by there's a larger gang that's still around called the Sons of Silence. And they're a national 1% gang. And that's what I was, came out to, that that's what I was in. And there was like 500 of them, I don't know how many now, wasn't, isn't my business. It was then. And inside this group, there was a squad called the, the Nomads. And the Nomads are the ones that, and they're bodyguards, they uh, do things uh, that might get your life sentence. And I said, I, I want to be a Nomad. And so I tapped into that gas tank, both of them of hate. And uh, it took me a year, but I became a nomad. And then inside the, the, the gang, there's a, an ability if you're a nomad enforcer that doesn't give you no rank, but it makes you the top. You do security for the nation. You're the one that if you've got an opposer, you go after him. You're the one that sets up security for the different functions. I said, I'm gonna be that. There's only one of those allowed. And again, it took me a year, and you can take a look at me. I'm a pretty small rascal. I was a little thicker then, 240. Not all of it hung around my waist. But it ain't about size. It's about being all in, about giving your word and being dedicated, suffering, sacrificing, committing. And so, the next three years as a nomad, I said, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. I'm making dirty money. I'm drinking as much as I want. I do as much dope as I want. I chase skirt. But then it, living that life, because not everybody in that club, not everybody is gang. Some of them, they work. They tend to their, their, their town. Then there's other of us like us, we're evil. We, we, we take the sin, we take a situation, and we allow ourselves to use it to the fullest. And I wasn't one to worry about taking care of a town. I was worried about one taking care of me. And so once I became a nomad, like I said, uh, the next three years, and then it imploded. I described that by one, one of the times I got shot, the uh, doctor said, uh, that slug's about three and a half, four inches deep in you. And it's going to cut up more meat and muscle to get it out of there than to leave it. So I'm going to leave it in there. But you've got to, you've got to hear me, man. So don't just walk out of you. You've got to hear me. You've got clothing wrapped around this slug. And if you let that thing heal from the outside, it's got to heal from the inside out. You've got to let it heal from the, from the inside out. Because if it heals on the outside, it's going to gangrene inside. Well, that's what happened with me. 
and the, some of the men that run in the theory of what, what we were in that gang for, they started to, it imploded. Because I wasn't doing nothing. They weren't doing nothing about healing inside. It was covering it up with the alcohol, the dope, the, the violence. And they, I get a call, and one of them had shot himself in the head. And I said, well, hey, I guess this is a year that we're going to figure out who the cowards are. They ain't nomads. What the hey? And I knew the guy wasn't a coward, but that's the way I, that's the way I have to go with this. It wasn't three months later, I get another call. Such and such just blew his head off. And I said, well, I guess this, I guess this is really the year that we're going to find out in this nation who stands and who runs? Besides, there ain't nomads because I started getting this theory inside my head that the real ones, there's only certain ones that are in here trying to always take myself higher by bringing somebody lower. And then about three months after that, I pull into Kentucky and I ain't in there, I don't know if it's five minutes or an hour, and I get a call, hey, there's a nomad over in the clubhouse. And he's just shot at two of your own. Now that's your business. You get over there and get that stopped. So I go over to the clubhouse and I pound on the steel doors. And the door kicks open and I go, hey, bro, what do you, what do you think you're doing? Yeah, you come in, you can have the last one with me. Come on. And then he turns around and goes in and as I'm coming in the house, I, he always carried a 380 handgun and extra clips. I can smell. I can see stuff shot up, but I can smell that he's been, he's been busting clips and just sticking fresh and going at it. So I get up into the bar and I said, are we, are we going to have one? Yeah, we're going to have one. We're, I said, hey. See, because I got this. I'm a, I'm a nomad. I'm an enforcer. I got this, see? So I go, Hey. To drink this one with me, bro, you got to put that, gotta put that gun down. You ain't waving that thing around here with me. Looks at me. Oh. Sits down. As soon as he does, I snatch that gun. And he looks at me and goes, I've been with you on things. Now you tell me who I'd have put that gun for in this nation. How many I would have responded by putting it down. I put it down because you know me. There's nothing you're going to stop. I'm going, I got this. I'm going to put the gun down. We're going to have this shot. And then we're going to go out and we're going to raise some hell. So I put the gun down. He looks at me. I look at him. We take a shot and I don't even get my glass down to the bottom. He's got that thing up in his nose. And I'm going, hey, no. I get about this close from his face. I go, you take that out of your nose, bro. And you know I love you. Yeah, I know you do. Boom! Now, I can't say I remember um, calling for the ambulance. I don't even know how the ambulance and them police got inside the clubhouse. I really don't. All I know is he's on the floor. And I got my mouth against his. And I got all that oil that's coming out of him because he's dying. And they come in and they beat me down. They put that jewelry on me. 
And they took me out of there. They're trying to figure out what I do remember is looking down at everything I've ever believed in, everything I've ever done the evil for, the, the sin, everything. My nation, the nomad, was laying there dying. It, it died in here. When they finally let me out of jail, the next two months, it didn't matter how much I drank. It didn't matter how much blow I did. It didn't matter how much I got into it. I couldn't get it to stop spinning in my head. So I went to the bosses. I said, hey, uh, I think I'm going to have to. Uh, ho, 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 ho. You're just being retarded. You've always had a good chunk of that. Um, you need a break. Just take off, chill for a while, come on back. All right. What do I know? I know penitentiary. I know gang. The only other thing I know is I can, being on a place that's like a farm where I can tend to animals and drive a tractor. So I went down to Kentucky and uh, I put a thing up in them co-ops that said, I work hard. I just want to be paid fair. And I got a call from a man that said, hey, I got different properties. You know how to really drive a tractor? I said, yeah. He said, okay. Well, I want you to come out here and work for me. You're going to pick up round bales. You're going to do different things. He said, he said, come on out and meet me. So I went out there, and he explained to me he used to be with the city, but he was also a pastor. But he had a four-way bypass, so he was really shut down from doing much. He said, and the only thing is, I feed you at noon. You work for me, but at noon you come to my house and you eat. Well... Like I said, I'm, I was, I like to eat, um, like a feeder pig, um, as my wife will vouch for. Um, so at noon, I'd go in, and I know what these things are. You can't, can I see that for a minute? Yeah. Thanks, Brad. He would be sitting at that table while his wife's cooking. Now, they're like 70-some years old, and He'd be sitting there reading this thing. Well, I know what it is. I mean, you can't be in the United States and not know what a, what a Bible is. But, hey, I, I don't really care what he's doing at the table. Okay? He's talking to somebody that ain't there. That's fine. Whatever he's doing is fine. My main concern is that woman's over there. <laughs> and uh, happy, happy, happy. And the happier she got was when I ate more. So we had a good thing going on. And... And as time went on, I got to say, you know, like the weeks went into months, weird things would happen. Uh, like one time, I, you know, like I say, I, she's over there cooking, and he's over there reading, and I'm just sitting there smelling, and all of a sudden he goes, and he looks over at her, she looks over at him, and I'm going, how long have you been married to this woman, Ray? He goes, 48 years. I said, you've been with one woman 48 years? I mean, to me, that's like, what? And he goes, but it's the way he said it. Those eyes, I know now by the Lord, the windows. But he looked at me and goes, oh, I'm, I've been blessed. So as the weeks go into months, I'm sitting there one day, and we go to eat, and I know he did this thing, you know, we'd pray, but he goes, 
hey, why don't you, why don't you pray today, Ron? I looked at him and said, you don't know nothing about me, Ray. You've been a good man, you and your wife. I said, this happiness, this peace stuff you guys got, I don't know nothing about it. Don't ever ask me again. He goes, okay. And I can't tell you if it was two weeks later or two months, but it was shortly after that happened that I get a phone call early in the morning. I said, hey, get out of there. I said, what? They're up here in Iowa kicking doors in, man. Your face, along with some others, is on this TV. I said, what? And they go, hey, the federal government wants you for racketeering. The state wants you for first-degree murder for what you did when you was a nomad. You got to get out of there. Man, I mean, I'm talking like I know now that emotions are liars, you know. But my emotions were running because I knew somebody had said something, what's going on. So my mind is like, I'm not going in. I ain't going in. I'm not living in them cages no more. They ain't never going back. So I go and get me a long rifle out, and I got my collection, and I grab me my 44 mag, and I go out to the truck, and I go, you know what? I'm going to head to where I think maybe was wrong, and I'm going to handle what I got to do. So I fire this truck up, and as I'm going down the driveway, usually when I lock something in, when I lock it in, no different than going out with Dad, with Mom, or going to be a nomad, whatever you're going to do, I lock it in, and I get it handled. That's the end of it. I'm going down that driveway, and I started panicking, thinking about what I was going to do. I'm going, what? I started getting this, these feelings that I don't get. And that's where I learned that, and this goes for anybody, whether they're listening, not listening, whether you think you're saved, you ain't saved, I want you saved. But the truth of the fact is, whoever you're running with right now, whatever, whoever you're spending your most of your time with, you're, get, you're infecting them. Because what had happened was that Ray and that Mary infected me with that stuff. They infected me where I had this thing happening to me where I couldn't, I couldn't go. I couldn't go and take that gun and do anything to anybody. So I, I shut everything off. I took that magnum and I went out to the woods. And I'm out there and basically what I'm doing is I'm 240 pounds and I'm banging this, this ground and I'm screaming. It's dark and I'm... I'm trying to psych myself up, put this 240 grain semi-jacketed hollow point in my brain pan, and I'm, I get it up to there, and I cock this thing back after I've been out there, I don't know how long, and I hear, and I'm, I, it was just like us talking here. I heard, don't kill yourself with that gun. You kill yourself with me. And I mean, I'm like, I'm looking around like, this ain't the time to play with me. And I'm looking around, and I don't see nobody. I don't. It's like, okay, okay. So I started pounding again, and I stick this up to my head, and I jack that thing, and I am trying to just leave, and I, I hear it again. And I'm not a theologian, right? So I can't say how, you know, I surrendered to the voice. I surrendered to God. I surrendered to Jesus Christ, and I, 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 I want this, and I can't. Ever since I've been little, my chest has always felt like it was full of, like steel wool, like always just angry, hate. And it was like 
I didn't come off the ground kumbaya and, and all the dance and stuff. And I didn't see no 60-foot angel and hear the... I'm not saying this stuff can't happen. But it's like he put his mouth against mine and he took just enough out where I, I come off the ground with this chunk of peace and I, I have felt that. And I, what do you want me to do? You got to turn yourself in. You got to do what's right. You got to pay for what you did. And that's when I turned myself into the state and federal authorities, and I'd like to say that I lived happily ever after. Um, and sort of, I guess I did, but uh, that, that didn't exclude me from having to pay my dues. They ended up giving me 58 years uh, for racketeering and murder in the second degree. And I, I went to prison, and I got to tell you, them first two months, uh, I'd read this thing. I knew when I got there, because I'd never raised in a church. I knew you're supposed to read this thing. Right? So I'd read it, and I'd read it, and I'd read it. And I wasn't trying to listen to everybody try to tell me who this Jesus was. Now, I heard something. I got the release, and I'm reading this, and I know he's going to talk to me. I go out into the yard, I go out into the cell house, and I mean I was hating, I was angry, I was confused, I'd read this, I'd step out there, nothing, it ain't doing nothing. And now I got a mark on me because a gang, it's just not a good deal. And I go in there, but the one thing I didn't do, I didn't throw this thing. I didn't say, well, because it's rough, I quit. I continued with tapping into what he gave me instead of that gas tank of hate. I'm tanking, ta tapping into him. And I go in that cell and I'm reading and he takes me to several verses. And one of them is that Second Timothy where it says, I, I want you to suffer hardship as a good soldier. And I've never been in the military, but we called each other. We're soldiers for what we got to do. And I know a soldier's got, he's got to believe in something bigger than himself. A soldier's willing to sacrifice, commit. He said, I want you to suffer as a good soldier for me. And then the second verse says, and as, a, as I'm your commander, don't you worry about what anybody else says. Whether it's a popularity contest, none of that. You worry about pleasing me. And I know what it is to have a boss. And so I go, oh, he said, don't you get Ron, you've been reading it and walking out of the cell like it's going to do something. I want you to practice it. I want you to put arms on it like the Good Samaritan. I don't want you've been walking, you read it, then you, you walk across the other side of the street. I want your hands involved. There ain't no more of this black, white, yellow, brown. There ain't no more guard, child molester. There ain't everybody deserves to hear. And they're going to hear it by the way you walk. So for the next 19 and a half years, I walked in them, Leavenworth, Max, several federal prisons, as well as state. I'd, I walked what I'd read, or I practiced it, because I'm not perfect. I'm still practicing, but I'd fall on my face and get up. And in some prisons, when I was in Leavenworth, Max, the blacks sit here, the whites sit here, the Mexicans sit here, oh, the, the dweebs. The rums, the ones you can't trust, 
them Christian boys that sit with all different color. That's where I sat, but you're going to have to decide. You would have sat in the old days at the other tables and fought for it. You're willing to sit there? And so I sat there. And by, by learning and going to each prison, God eventually started doing weird, that, you know how he is. He does stuff that you can't explain, like some places, if you've got more than three guys together, they go, because they think something's going to go down. We start reading the Bible, and next thing you know, you got 10 guys standing around. And they come up and go, River, they want you in security office. So I go to the security office, I go, hey, now what I was doing, I know what you were doing. Do you want a room and a time slot to do that in? What? I mean, I went to, when I got to one prison in Iowa, they ended up letting me have Sunday service. I did the Sunday service. Um, they let us build our own worship team. But it got to the point where the training was noticed. Uh, I couldn't, somebody got a hold of me like that book. A couple years before I got out, he goes, hey, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm putting a book together by God's calling of 10 different men. I've got a Marine sniper. I've got an executive. And we've, there's word about what God's having you do in prison, and I'd like to put your testimony, God's testimony, in this book. And I told him, well, you're going to have to let me pray on it. And about eight months later, God gave me a release. As you can do this. And I said, well, the way I wrote it is the way you got to put in that book. And he goes, all right. And he did. And when I got out of prison, um, the men that had read those books, uh, the one Finnegan, he's gone now. God's got him up there dancing a jig with the other Irish Catholics. <laughs> but when I got out, we, you know, I got to meet men and sit down and pray with them because they'd read that book and go, I got to see if it's real. And then they'd start praying and, and sharing. And they said, hey, what's God calling us to do? Ministry. We want to go back in where, where we came out of. And they, you really think they're going to let you go back in prison? You just been out. And now you've been out a year and you think they're going to let you on parole for murder and racketeer in federal and state. They're not going to let you. Yeah. Well, when you read the book, you'll see that one of the officers that I beat up, you know, he's my brother in Christ now. He became a warden. And that's one of the crazy things that happened, that when I got sent to a prison, they went, hey, you know who the warden is here, don't you? No. And they said, it's Mr. Mapes. And I went, uh-oh. You know? And I'll, I'll be doggone when I seen him in, 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 in the prison. I went, oh, I want you to know I'm sorry for what happened all them years ago, but I ain't going to let my lips talk. It'll be my action to say that I'm changed. I'm with Christ. And he looked at me and said, man, it'd been a time, but I believe too. So he shook my hand. And he let me come in while I was on parole into his prison. Warden McKinney, another one let me come into Rockwell, Fort Dodge. So we started doing studies in, in, inside the prison system and then was allowed to start going into Eldora, 
and it took off where I get to work with Brad, and that's a, that's a handful. <laughs> and we got Bill out there now, but we're doing classes. Uh, you know, we got some credibility with people out there because you've been there. And so in the last, I've been out now seven and a half years, I'm, I'm allowed to go and share with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, I, from this town, and God put me in contact with the UNI Panthers, and Jed Smith is on our ministry board, who's a strength and conditioning coach for the UNI Panthers, and he believes, and we've had the honor of where I get to come in, and I, I share my testimony with them, and then I get to talk with some of them off the field and on the field, like I do my Grundy Center Spartans and some of the Hawks, but the Panthers the last few years, Jed brings them out or Coach Kane, and they'll be uh, five, eight, depending on what we're, what we're doing, and they work right with mentoring some of the youth out there. Um, this ministry, which is his ministry, um, isn't very large, but it seems to be able to, to keep up with what God's doing whether it's going into prisons, whether it's going into Eldora, which is our main, what we're doing. We also, God, they gave us a church called the Lincoln Center a couple years ago. They had shut it down and it took us a year, but that thing's up. And every Sunday we do a Sunday service out there at the, the Lincoln Center. Uh, then we go in every other week and we do one out at uh, Eldora. But, and if you, well, you're all invited, but uh, um, we also, what do, you, what do you call that, stream it? Where, yeah. Yeah, when I went to prison, I had a pager. That ain't okay. I'd never been on a computer and I had a pager. I come out of prison, I heard about them cell phones, and I, and I seen them on TV, but you're like, I ain't gonna have one of those. You can't live without them out here. It's crazy, right? But, you know, again, when they handed me a piece of paper, it said, God doesn't waste pain. It said, sin and brokenness. And I know that probably fits more than me in here. But I got to say, I, I didn't have to worry about walking up here and having to lie or sound good for some solid people that decided to to travel and come here tonight. I, like I said, I ain't got no quarter market on it. But I know that God doesn't waste pain. And I know there's no depth of sin or brokenness that God can't come in and heal because whiskey and methamphetamine and guns ain't going to handle it. It's only that ability to surrender and allow his working. I think with that one man that's was up here said, I like that. I hadn't heard that before where he said, uh, our currency is relationships. And I, I like that. I'm going to steal that, <laughs> you know, but I figure he got that from God anyway. So it's, he, you know what I mean? That's not really plagiarizing or whatever you call that thing, but yeah, but, uh, you know, that's about it in a nutshell. There's going to be, there's a book if you want to take one. 
There's some cards, so if you feel like getting on the website or you need to holler, holler. But I just want to thank you for being able to, to be able to sit here tonight by the grace of God and be able to speak something that hopefully uh, tags a spot in your ticker. God bless you. Thank you.